Yes, good morning. So Psalm 46, that song really kind of um, says it all, doesn't it? The Lord our God is with us. And pretty much, I think if we just sang that song over and over and over again, you'd have the word for today. Because the truth is, he is always with us. He's against the wicked, as Erica reminded me this morning. In Proverbs, I was reading it too. He's against the wicked, but he's always for the righteous. So the word that I want to bring today that the Lord put on my heart, oh, it's loud now. Um, the word that the Lord gave me um, last week in worship, I didn't know I'd be up here, but he gave me a word and it, uh, if you take it word by word, it could seem hard, but it's not hard at all because it's not against the righteous. It's against the wicked and he's calling us, he's challenging us today. I believe he's given me a word to to say I'm challenging you and I'm not correcting you, I'm challenging you, commissioning you, and he's given us a, an opportunity to seek his face for the nation that we live in and for those are in our cities, in our towns, in our villages. So when you hear nations, sometimes if you're not politically minded like myself, really not into, I watch and I look, I look at what's happening in the world, but I, I'm not... Uh, uh, I don't choose a party. I don't get involved in a, a lot of those things, although I probably should. But So when you hear that, sometimes you think it doesn't relate to you. Um, but the truth is, if we live in this nation, um, every city, every town, every little neighborhood, we are part to be commissioned and praying for, for this nation. So um, the first thing I want you to remember as we're speaking today, or as I'm speaking, you could add on to, <laughs> is that he is always with us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never leave us. Those are his promises. When he makes a covenant with a nation, um, as he has done in our nation, as he has done in Israel's nation, it's funny how the two, these two nations that he made a covenant with. When I first got saved, um, I was going to a, a Nazarene church, Jimmy and I, and I remember coming out one Sunday. I was probably like maybe 17, 18, I don't know. And there was these little tracks on, the, on all the cars, and it was like, America is Babylon. And I thought, she is? You know, like, I didn't even know really at the time what that meant. Um, and as I looked at it, I thought, well, possibly she could be, but I really believe sometimes that we forget that America has been chosen by God, and he's used this nation mightily. He has blessed us mightily. We've sent out so many missionaries. We have supported financially so many nations. And so to, to blatantly say that she's Babylon, I think sometimes that's to forget his promise. Now, maybe my theology isn't right, but I want us to look at the fact that he has blessed this nation, right? So with that being said, um, Adam last week spoke on uh, the book of Esther. Uh, which if anyone didn't hear it, go back and listen to the podcast. It was very good. And what was exciting to me was a few days before uh, Sunday, the Lord put on my heart to read the book of Esther. And as I read the book of Esther, um, I thought, well, you know, I've never, ever watched that movie, One Night with the King. And everybody raved about it and talked about it. And I, I said, I was so excited about the book of Esther to see what God did in, in, this, in the nation during a pivotal time, pivotal, it's a new word, um, so I watched the movie. And in the movie, I really enjoyed the movie, but what happened was at the end, I thought, well, they really turned this movie into a love story between Esther and King Xerxes. And really, it's a love story between Elohim, the living God, and his people, right? And that's the heart of the, the story. And so to miss that would, be, um, would really be a shame. And Adam covered that very, very, very 
uh, well last week in a way that I had never heard before. But I wanted to add just a little piece to the story before I share the word that I believe the Lord gave me and um, to, to prove his faithfulness. So in Esther, I better follow my notes because I get off everywhere. Um, so the whole book is a love story. It's about Elohim and the living God and his people. We see his power under impossible situations. And uh, the reason I say that is because I really believe in the nation today, we are under impossible situations. We don't always see it because we're kind of like Esther. We kind of live in this palace. Like it's pretty nice in the Hudson Valley, right? There's no riots in the streets and there's, you know, there's no earthquakes. There hasn't been anything, you know, shaking, but all around us things are happening. And, and so Esther was in this palace and she was being prepared, right, for the king. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there could have been a season where she thought, well, this is my new life. This is wonderful. God, thank you for my blessings. But as Adam said last week, it wasn't about Esther. It was about a whole nation that God had, he had strategically placed this woman and her cousin to save a nation. So the whole book is about him. We see his power under impossible situations. We come to understand he is with us. He waits for us to cry out to him. And in some circumstances, it takes the whole nation. In the end, it's exactly what Psalm 46 says. And there are times that we pray uh, individually, and there's times that the Lord calls us to pray as a nation, as a people. And I believe there's a lot of people in America right now praying. There's all kinds of groups raising up and growing. And so I wanted to highlight those things and not so much the negative. But as dark as it is, the light is even brighter. But we can't ignore that the darkness is there. Because to ignore it is to walk away and let them overcome, overtake. So in Psalm... 46, I just want to read some, highlight some of the words of this song that TJ was singing. He says, Oh, come behold the works of God, the nations at his feet. He breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease. We can't tell a war to cease. And even as individuals in your own household, you can't tell the war to cease. But God speaks and he prophesies and he declares, if we are his and he's made a covenant with us and he has, that the wars will cease. Whatever you're going through, the wars will cease. Almighty one of Israel. And this, these aren't just nice words that somebody um, put to a song. They're actually from Psalm 46. Almighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We can never forget that again. He's always on our side, no matter how you feel. He's always on our side. We walk by faith in, who, in God who burns the chariots with fire. Who alone can tear down chariots in our life? Who alone can tear down the armies that are trying to march in into our nation, into our schools, into our communities? Only God can do that. But we have to stand up and say, we're going we're gonna to pray it, we're going to speak it, we're going to declare it. We can't just think it. I say this all the time. I always think I'm on a diet, but my husband points out all the things that I eat during sometimes throughout the day, um, and I get angry with him. But it's, it's true. It's true. I, you know, I have. He finds these little empty packets of you know food and candies that Annie brings over. So you might think you're dieting, but the reality is maybe something else is happening. But it's always the forefront. It's always before you. So the Lord was challenging. I felt like for myself, I want you to pray more. Don't just talk about prayer. I want you to. I want you to pray more. And I will burn the chariots. Those who aggressively pursue you, I will pursue. Isn't that exciting? If we really know that God is aggressively pursuing the one who is aggressively pursuing you, then why would we fear? Why would we ever fear? Why would we doubt? Why would we be concerned? It says, Lord of hosts, you're with us. You're with us in the fire. You're with us as a shelter. You're with us in a storm. You lead us through the fiercest battle. The fiercest battle. So that means that there's going to be a time that we do have to fight. We can't just lay back and say, oh, it's okay, we're a blessed nation. I'm, I'm one of, king, of the king's kids, right? We have to put some power behind that. 
And that's the power of his word. Where else would we go but the Lord of hosts? I love that line. Actually, my favorite line is what Adam had said. You know, when Adam said, you know, you know what's in the hearts of men and then you let us live. I mean, that's an amazing, that's a funny line right there, right? You know what's in the hearts of men and still you let us live because he's so holy, but he's so good to us. He's so merciful to us. And he looks at us and he sees, he sees his son in the spirit of the living God. So where else would we go? So many do not know him this way. He's a mighty warrior, a protective father. Where else would we go? Why would we want to leave him? Why would we not trust him? Why would we not brag on him all the time? We serve a God who plans the future years in advance. Victories to be won. He sees the schemes of the enemy. He sees the destruction that is about to destroy his people. And he takes action. Before we even get a, a sniff of a fire, he's already called the fireman. He's already on it. He's already there with his hose to take care of what you don't even realize is coming. And that's what happened with Esther. She didn't know anything was coming, right? Mordecai really didn't even know he was coming. He just, had a, he just heard something. And he was, he was able to stand at the gate and then tell her, and then she took action, right? So we don't even know. But we, so we can enjoy the palace a little. But when the, when the time to stand up and fight comes, and the time to come stand to pray is we have to take action. Because we've all been called for such a time as this, no matter what's happening. We've all been called for those reasons. So he sees the destruction that's about to destroy the people, and he takes action, sometimes instantly, and other times it's a plan of victory in the, in the making years ahead. Preparing a life for the needs of his people. When Esther was formed in the womb of her mother, he gave her beauty in face and form. The Bible says that she was beautiful in face and form. He didn't do that so she could win a beauty contest. It wasn't about her. He didn't do it so that she could be somebody because she was so beautiful. He did it because he knew the king, Xerxes, who would be in power years later, would be drawn to her and he could place her. He knew her heart just like he knew the heart of Mary when he put Jesus Christ in her womb, right? So he knew that she would be one to take action. So all those years ahead of time, isn't it funny? Sometimes we think our strengths and our abilities are ours, but God gave them to us for a reason. He gave them to us for the, the better, for the, for the common good, for his people, for all of them. None of it is for us. None of it. He lets us enjoy it, but it's always about his people. We have to remember that. Preparing a life in the need. So Esther was beautiful. Um, it was not to win a beauty contest, but she could have access to the king. He had Mordecai raise her. Think about that. You know, I wonder, um, was she orphaned for a reason? Would her parents not have been um, very good at coming and, and bringing her and yielding her to her, causing her to yield as the Spirit of God did? But Mordecai, her cousin, he raises her. He was a man of God. He had eyes to see and a heart to instruct. Mordecai knew the seasons and the times and he knew how to counsel her by the spirit of the living God, resulting in deliverance for his people. Two people in the courts of the king seeking heaven help a nation, and the whole nation was spared. Just two people, right? If two or more are gathered in my name, they will cry out to me. I will heal their land. I'll heal their families. I'll heal their neighborhoods. I'll heal your finances. He heals everything. I'll heal your scars. I'll do all those things. I might keep some scars so you have a testimony, though. But the, the truth is, you can say, well, this scar was this time, but God delivered me. He delivered me. Because we live in a nation that God said is blessed. He said he would bless this nation. It was consecrated to him. It was set apart to him. Our lives have been blessed because we have chosen that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. That means we are... Um, we are um, 
a covenant in our houses. If nobody else knows the Lord, you are a covenant in your house for the rest of your little nation, right? We have to see it in the small sense and we have to see it in the larger sense that we are his people chosen. So two people in the courts of the king helped spare a nation. This is history. It's not a parable. It's funny how some people read these stories and they think, oh, it's just a parable. But this truly happened. It's God in action because he is love, he is committed, and he will not break his covenant. The book of Esther is not a love story between a king and a beauty queen, but of love between Elohim and his people, a God and king who is ready, willing to take action as we respond to each crisis in prayer and sometimes fasting, like we all did on 8-8, right? Now, Haman, although he was hung on the gallows, I'm not going to go through everything that Adam preached last week, it's not necessary, but after he was hung on the gallows, you would think that it was okay that the enemy who had stirred up all the trouble was taken down. But the truth is, there was still a declaration sent out to 127 provinces with the seal of the king's ring saying, destroy the Jews. And the king said to Esther, I cannot revoke that because what the king has sealed cannot be revoked right? So 127 providences, which is a large uh, space of, of land, are going after to murder and to annihilate the Jewish people. So she still cries out to the king. She says, if I have found favor, let the letters Haman sent be revoked. As children of the king, we do have, we have found favor. We have found favor in the courts of God. We have found favor. He does listen to our prayers. He does draw near. He's waiting for us to seek him for us. He's waiting for us to ask him. We can't get stuck in our blessings. We can't get stuck in the palace. He's always stirring in our heart. He's always trying to wake us up. He's a good father and he wants us to enjoy. But at the same time, he wants us to prevail in, um, in prayer and in power. So she continues, for how can I endure to see the calamity which shall befall my people? If this was in the heart of all of us, what a difference a nation would be, right? How can I bear to see the calamity which shall befall my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? You know, the Bible says, because lawlessness will increase in the last days, people's hearts will grow cold. So I wonder sometimes when we watch the news and our people are everybody in this nation, right? Our people are everybody in this, in this you know, county. It's our neighbors. And when something happens, a, you know, an earthquake happens, we think, oh, that's really bad. You know, 25 people died in, in you know, Cal, uh, California. Or the fires that burn, we watch it and we see it, but it doesn't touch our homes. We don't smell the smoke. But Esther was able to smell the smoke, if you were. She could smell the disaster that was coming around. It was something God placed in her. We need to ask the Lord to give us, you know, that, that kind of gift to smell and to see and to hear what's happening and give us a heart to really care. Because when lawlessness increases, which it has in our world our hearts will naturally grow cold. It's just what happens. But we can cry out to God for his fire, for his fire to keep us burning for him. So she says, I can't. I can't endure to see the, uh, the destruction of my kindred. How can I go in living in royalty when my people are about to be executed, devoured, and destroyed? How can we continue to go on with our blessings and not pray against the destruction of those in this nation that we live in, those in our towns and our cities and our communities? So... We know the story. He says, I can't revoke it. I can't change it. But he says to Mordecai, you send out a new letter. Here's my ring. So now Mordecai gets the ring. He sends out the letters. And he tells the Jews, he doesn't say stop the fighting, which is interesting. He just tells the Jews, you can fight back. <laughs> you know, the king's given you permission. 
that you can fight back. And I think sometimes that's what the, the, king of, the king of kings is saying to us. You know, you're being battled, but you can fight back. I'm giving you permission. I've given you the seal. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm with you in the fire. I'm with you in the storm. You can fight back. But sometimes we're so, we're so amazed at the battle, you know, we're so fearful of the battle, or we're so overwhelmed by the battle that we don't take up our sword. And our sword and, our, and the faith is what? Our prayer, our declaration that God is with us and they have to fall. So they were commissioned to destroy them, and in Esther 8.8, 8, he tells them to, to write the letters. And in verse 11, or 9.1, I'll skip ahead because he already, you already preached on that, but in, in uh, chapter 9, verse 1, it talks about all the, the battling they did and all the people that died, and it wasn't the Jews. All those that hated him, they were destroyed by the Jews. God gave them supernatural power. And you know what I find God does when you read the Old Testament? He brings fear upon the people. He brings fear upon the people who are fighting you. All of a sudden, they're afraid. All of a sudden, they were all, all, all bold and everything, and this supernatural fear comes upon them that they don't want to fight you. And so they just, the you know, Jews could have been so weak, and they just take you out. And that's what he does for us. Now, in the 13th month, that is the month of, of March, we'll call it, on the 13th day, when the king's command and his edicts were about to be executed on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary so that the Jews themselves gained mastery over all those who hated them. And so the reason that scripture is important because that same scripture is what God does for us. God turns it around. All of a sudden, those who hated us, the Jews themselves, God's people himself, the believers in Jesus Christ themselves, overpower those who hate them. There's a lot of people in this nation that hate believers. It's not popular to be a Christian. And because of the political correctness, sometimes we can't even you know, say we're a Christian. Um, although, you know, we do anyway, right? <laughs> but there are people that would try to make you, you know, shut your mouth or say, you know, you don't have a right to do that. I think I've said this before. Once I wore a, um, a shirt to work when I worked in the mall and it said John three sixteen. It was like this big. This is the letters were like this. I just wore it. It was like a truck shirt, you know, what, a t-shirt. And the manager said, you can't wear that. How she could even see it, I don't know. It was a shirt from Israel or something, John three sixteen. She goes, you can't wear that. And I said, what do you mean I can't wear it? She goes, well, don't wear it tomorrow. You can't ever wear it here again. And I said, why? She goes, well, it's religious. You can't wear that shirt. And I go, well, those guys over there have Austin 316 on their shirt. You know those wrestlers, that wrestler guy, Austin 316? I go, why, why can they promote him and I can't promote Jesus? So I wore it the next day. Because not to be, not to be rude, not to be mean, she was a good friend of mine, but we can't, we can't bow to those things. You know, where is it written? Are you going to call the police on me? Like, who's going to come and take me away? You're going to fire me? I don't understand. It's not, you can't even do that, but they bully you. And why would they bully you? It's because they don't understand. They don't know him. I think today she wears one. She did give her life to the Lord. So a crown was placed on Esther and also on Mordecai. What the enemy tries to destroy cannot be destroyed if you are one of God's own. Haman's wife says this, which I thought was amazing in chapter 6, verse 13. All of a sudden, she's a turncoat. She's encouraging him, right, the whole time? Yeah, do, do it, do it, do it. You know, build those gallows, take them down. We're going to be so rich. And now she says to him, something bad happened. And she goes, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish origin, you will not overcome him. All of a sudden, she's like, no, the favor of the king is not on you anymore. You will not overcome him. And that's a really good thing for, understand, for us to understand. If the believers in this nation, if the people in this nation are blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ, the evil cannot overcome us. 
and the, those who are trying to bring evil will fall because of it. So the powers of darkness know they cannot overcome us because of the victory of the cross. We battle in the position of victory. He has already won. We have to believe he's for us, though. But there is still a battle. There is still a trial. There's a season of challenging circumstances. But we cannot forget. We can't give up. We can't let go of God. Where would we go? Peter declared, where would we go? In that song, right? And he goes, where else would we go? But with the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. What does that say? There's many with him. There's, there's so many angelic beings. We can't see it. So it's hard for us to believe it, right? But trust me, they're there. They're there, and they, God will release them to us whenever we need it. But we cannot deny him. You have the words of life, Peter said. You hold the answers. You are the victory. Xerxes said his decree cannot be revoked, but a greater king spoke similar words. Our God has decreed, he decreed, and no man can stop, it says in Revelation. What he decrees, what he says will be closed, will be closed. What he says to be opened will be open. We join with his words. We speak his authority over the darkness in our lives, in their neighborhoods, in our towns, in our cities, in this nation. 127 providences were commissioned to destroy the Jews. The enemy sends these decrees to more than 127 towns and cities. How many shootings, how many riots and hate crimes throughout our cities. But the Lord has put his word in our mouth that declares another ending, a different outcome. But we must wake up and proclaim his name every day as one people, knowing he will rescue us. And he's calling us really to wake up. Just the same way he woke up Esther. She wasn't doing anything wrong. And what I'm saying here isn't, a, isn't like, you know, you guys are so sleepy, tired, and sleeping. That's not it at all. I, I really felt like when the Lord um, gave me um, the word I'll share in a second, it was because we are his people, because he knows we will pray. So when he's saying, wake up, as we pray, America wakes up. See, they don't know him. But as we pray, America wakes up. As we pray, your coworkers will know Christ. As we pray, the people in your sphere of influence will come to know him. That's what he's calling us to do. It changes the atmosphere. So this was the God of the past. But isn't he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Will he not fight on our behalf again? We are like a nation under siege. We don't always see it from the from the palace walls, but the Lord has his Mordecai's standing at the gate to wake us up. Aren't you excited about that? There's so many voices that share the things that are happening in the world. And sometimes we don't like to listen to them. And I know people get tired of me talking about how many earthquakes have happened since July 4th, 88,000. But the truth is, it keeps me awake. It makes me a gatekeeper. It makes me see that something is different is happening. I don't see destruction. I don't see we're all going to die. What I see is the Lord is saying, this is your time to shine. This is your time to raise your voice, right? But we have to say to people, things are happening out there. Um, I think at work, they told me that I had to turn my alarm off on my, uh, on my earthquake thing and stop announcing it to them. But I'm not doing it because I'm fearful. I want them to start asking me, you know, like, don't you find this odd? Don't you find that this has never happened before? What's the word we hear on the news all the time? Even the fake news, unprecedented, unprecedented storm, unprecedented earthquake. Everything is like they'd never seen it before. So globally, things are happening in the world, right? But God is faithful to this nation. Revelations 3.11 says this, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one takes your crown. 
Hold fast your confession. Hold fast your standards. Do not compromise. Now we are almost at the end. That's what he's saying. He goes, I'm coming quickly. You might not understand the hour, but I want you to hold fast to everything you have. Don't let the culture around you rob you of your declaration of who Jesus Christ is. Don't deny him. Be bold in your testimony of all he has done for you. Do not let any man, any evil force, steal your crown. Many people will try to steal your crown. When my husband and I weren't together, and it was back in the 90s, and we were getting back together at that time, God has done mighty things in him, mighty things in me. And so we're now we're going we're gonna to get back together. Dawn had been praying. We were excited. He fasted on Thanksgiving. I mean, who fasts on Thanksgiving? And so the power of God, you know, you know directed. I'm glad he told him to, and not me. But when he told me he fasted on Thanksgiving, I knew we'd be getting back together, right? But we were getting back together. You would not believe the voices that told me not to be with him. And probably he had voices saying not to be with me, you know? But the truth is, you know what the Lord spoke to me? is the first time I ever heard the scripture. He says, do not let any man take your crown. So I knew what he was saying. He was saying, listen, I have blessed the two of you. And don't let anybody rob that from you. And that's what the enemy tries to do before victory, before something you've been praying for, believing for. The voices come, and they try, even sometimes your own voices, and you say, oh, it's never going to change. But it's not true. Don't let anybody, anybody, even your own negative thinking, steal your crown. In Revelation 3, Jesus announces himself to the church of Philadelphia. It's the only church we didn't do in our series. So I guess we're doing it now, really quickly. I won't give the history of Philadelphia, although I will say they had a major earthquake that took them out. And they had vineyards. They were very wealthy. Their vineyards, that was really their, their backbone. That was their, um, that was their source of income. Without that, they had nothing. And so the two things they lost, you know, the, the city was destroyed by a violent earthquake. And the next thing that happened was the emperor came in and he took all their vineyards because they were in competition with Rome. And so he takes all their vineyards. Now they have nothing. This is the church of Philadelphia, brotherly love. And the Lord didn't rebuke them at all. But they went through a season where they were great and they lost it all, right? So this is what he says. He who is holy, he who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and shuts who no one opens. I love that. I use it all the time when people say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what direction to go. Pray and seek the Lord. And as you pray and seek the Lord, he'll either close the door or he'll open it for you. He makes it very easy. Um, you've kept my word. I'm not going to read the whole thing yet. Sorry. You've kept my word and you have not denied me. That's what he says to them. You've kept my word and you have not denied me. Then he says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, the hour which is about to come upon you, the whole world to test those who dwell in it. But I am coming quickly. Hold fast. Let no man steal your crown. So what he's saying to them, why could they hold fast? Why were they being spared? Because they have not denied him. That's why it's so important. So many churches, so many people, they start out strong in the Lord, and, and then things happen, storms happen, fires happen, and they, st they start to deny the Lord. They might not say, oh, I give up on God and walk away, but if you're not professing his power and his goodness, you really, you're denying him, right? The Lord said to me the other day, I was mad at somebody, and he goes, well, if you're mad at them, he goes, you know, why are you mad at me? I'm not mad at you, something like that. And he goes, well, if you're mad at me, you're mad at, if you're mad at them, you're mad at me, because I live in them, right? Think about that. He sees things so different than us. I thought he cut me some slack because I thought the person was pretty annoying, but um, he didn't. But his point is, he's in all of us, and he's coming quickly. He's holy, he's true, he has the key of David. Just as King Xerxes... <laughs> 
placed a crown on Esther and Mordecai, Jesus Christ places a crown on us. It's a crown of the overcomer because he himself wears the victor's crown. You know that song, Every Stronghold Must Be Broken, that one? I don't, I can't, I'm not going to sing it, obviously. You wear the victor's crown. Every high thing must come down. Every high thing, every high imagination, everything that the enemy is trying to plot and plan against you, your family, or the nation has to come down. All we have to do, he makes it really easy. He's already, vict he's already the victor, right? We just declare it. Sometimes we just don't even open our mouth. We think about praying again, but we're not saying it. Just open our mouth and pray, decree it, say it. I'm not talking about having faith in your faith or your positive testimonies, uh, prof I mean, professions. What I'm saying is you are declaring the word of the living God. The one who holds fast till he comes is the one who will be satisfied with the life of the palace, but says, will not be, sorry, will not be satisfied with the life of the palace, but says, the Lord, says, Lord, my people are about to perish. How can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people? What I think about all the time is my grandchildren. Where will they be when they're my age? Like with the, the way the nation's going now? You know, how, what's going to happen with your children? We need to be concerned about that. There was a king in the Old Testament. Uh, he was going to die, and God gave him 15 more years. And then there was another king who's the, I think, Isaiah. Um, I don't know the exact reference, but you'll know the story. Isaiah went to him, and he said, the Lord heard your prayer, and he's going to give you more time. And calamity's not going to come in your time, but it's going to come in your children's children time. And he was, ha he was happy with that. I thought, how... I, I couldn't even understand that story. I'm like, how can you be happy with that? It's like, it's like me saying, oh, oh, good, I'm not going to die, but uh, Elijah's children are. That's crazy, right? We always have to be thinking about the next generation. He's a generational God. So we can't settle for those things. Um, he's just, um, the one who holds fast till I come is the one that will not be satisfied with this life or the life of the palace. My people are about to perish. And the calamity which befalls my people will befall me, so I need to do something about it. The Lord has made covenant with us, our families. We must stand in the gap for our towns, cities, and for all this chaotic, all that's in this chaotic nation. He has made decrees. He's made covenants. He's declared fruitful plains in America, safety, peace for our children, sheltered us from much harm. You know, all the, the fruitfulness of our, our nation that's being lost, even the floods out west, you know, they said they don't really think that'll recover for a little while. They can't even plant for this season. God can do anything. But little bit by little bit, you know, you'll see signs on the shelf. Even in Walmart, I saw a sign, you know, temporarily out of stock. Canned goods, really? Um, because of, um, you know, low pro, 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 help me. No corn, no peas, that's it. You don't need to know. Nothing coming out of Missouri, nothing coming out of Illinois. But it can. So when it comes in slowly like that, we don't even see it. But if we would look and listen to Mordecai at the gate, then we would begin to pray and God will turn things around. I believe he's going to turn thing, things around. And uh, he's been turning things around. Actually, 2019 has been a good year as far as getting rid of some administrative things that has happened um, in our nation. Things are being exposed. But we can't stop. We have to keep going. The walls of protection are being taken down in our nation brick by brick. But just as David declared to Goliath before he took him down, he said the whole world, he said this to the giant, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And I really believe when God's people pray, the whole world will know there's still a God in America. There's still a God in the United States of America. You know, those who are perverted, those who have walked away, those who are preaching another gospel, a gospel of hate, they won't be seen anymore. The word says your enemies won't see, but cry out to me. 
we declare there is still a God in America, but the decree has gone out to destroy my people, and it can be taken back. I open and I close. No one can revoke what I, the Lord, decree. Where's the Esthers? Where's the Mordecais? Where's the Davids? Where's the Nehemiahs? Where's the Annas? Where's the Annies? <laughs> the people, the people in the word of God who stood in the gap and they saw change. So the Lord spoke to me this word this week out of really, um, when you read, when you read Psalm 46 and, and listen to the, uh, the song, listen to it with that heart because it's a really, it's a word of encouragement for us to pick up the sword in prayer. It's a commissioning to his, his believers about the unbelievers. He says, wake up America. I don't, I'll tell you this, I don't get words very often and I never get words about the nation. But I know that I know when I know when God has given me something. So I don't hesitate to say that it was from the Lord. It's not my own vain imagination. Wake up, America. Wake up, America. Do you see the disasters mounting? Do you see the enemies marching in? Repent for your nation. Repent for the murders, the parades of perversion, the hearts that shake their fist against my words of life. Hold fast what you have. Hold fast what has been imparted to you. Remember the altars built to me in this land. I am still for you. I am still crying out. Did you think it was a coincidence that the earth shook on July 4th, your Independence Day, a day of freedom? But the freedom celebrated now is freedom of choice, freedom from religion, freedom of gender, freedom to do and be your own God, making your own laws. I am trying to get your attention. In my mercy, I am calling you to wake up. Don't let anyone steal your crown. I give you freedom from tyranny. I've given it to you. I've given you a place to worship. I've blessed you. I've protected you. Remember the testimonies of the past, the victories. Do not let the sin in your nation overtake the foundations that have been built. Hold fast what you have in order that no man takes your crown. And I'm saying no man's taking our crown. Um, the promise for the crown was for those who do not deny him. And God's people, there's many of us in this nation, and we are not denying him. And he's just saying, wake up and declare it. Wake up and speak it. Because things seem quiet now, but things could get worse. But can't he turn it around? He did it for Esther. He did it for Mordecai. He did it for the Jews. He will do it for us, right? So the Lord never forsakes the righteous. He calls us to pray. The root of violence is not the issues in the world today. It's not what political party you are for or against. The root problem has been and always will be sin. Sin always brings death. But those of us who know his name and have not denied him hold the power to pray, intercede, declare, and cry out. Esther had her time. David had his time. His spirit has been poured out on all of us. In the Old Testament, the spirit of God just fell on the ones, right? But now he falls on the many. We are all empowered to be the voice of God. So he says, wake up, look at the signs, pray, and believe that I'll do it again. Like that song, right? Do it again. But we need to appeal to heaven. And I'm, I've, I taught on this once extensively, and I'm just two paragraphs, so don't worry. But I wanted to uh, share uh, the story about George Washington and the first flag in the, you know, in the Navy, the one that they used. Because the Lord put on my heart, there's a covenant in this nation. And that's what we need to realize. And that's why I say I cannot believe that America is Babylon, because he made a covenant with this nation. And he didn't just do it through George Washington, he did it through the pilgrims. When they came, they put the cross uh, where, you know, history better than I do, 
down, put it in there, and they declared it would be a nation that would serve Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There wasn't a Muslim there and a Buddha there. There wasn't a, you know, there wasn't a diverse, uh, a bunch of people. They said, no, we are believers in Jesus Christ. He's the only Lord. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the only one that can forgive me my sins, the only one who can bless me, the only way that can take the disaster and turn it into good. That's who we are declaring this nation belongs to. And when they did that, God took it serious. When you make a covenant to him, he takes it serious. And then you know what? He fights for you. Those who are aggressively coming against you in those chariots, he will aggressively take care of them. But we have to be reminded of that covenant. He has not forgotten. So in George Washington's day also, it says the year is 1775. We hadn't declared independence in the colonies, yet George Washington has been appointed as the head of the militia. And he knows that to beat the British, you have to have a navy because that's the way the British, that's the way the British patrol the world. That's their power base. He goes to the Continental Congress, who denies him funds, so he decides to fund them himself. He purchases six small ships, and, a, and he puts a flag with a pine tree in the middle, in the center, and the words above it says, an appeal to heaven. Every ship flown with a flag. I don't know if we have it in there. We did it one time in the computer. But it's a very simple flag, and it just says, an appeal to heaven. Britons had their ship, every nation had their ship, so the ship that they chose, the flag that they chose, was an appeal to heaven. And the reason they did, they were all very much influenced by a man named John Locke, and he would write, he would write letters because the British were always, there was such persecution, there was such a weight of tyranny on them, right? So John, everybody was reading his books at the time, and he would say, if the, if the city officials deny you justice, then go to the state. If the state denies you justice, then go to the federal courts. If the federal courts deny you justice, go to heaven and appeal to him. So George Washington, after being influenced from those writings, he said, yes, there's injustice in this world, and we're not getting it. So we are appealing to heaven. It was more than just a cute flag. Actually, the flag's not that thrilling, really. And he puts the pine flag, the pine, in the middle, because when they first came over here, the king of England loved those pine trees, and that's what he built his ships with our pines. And so he would mark them, even if you, had, if you were a landowner and you had pine trees on your land, you had no rights to them. And if you took them down, they would fine you. So obviously the colonists were very upset about this. And so George Washington, I think, put that evergreen tree there to say, listen, we have covenanted with God. He gave us this land and we're not giving you our trees. <laughs> the evergreen tree. I like that that was on there. So the first flag that ultimately began the United States naval uh, the naval base, was this flag. A declaration that although there is an injustice all around us, tyranny choking us, we are sailing under the shelter of God as we appeal to his courts, which are higher than the courts of man. Whatever you're going through, the courts of man mean nothing. We have to go through those scenarios in life. We have to do things in the courts. Annie once had to go to court, and I'll tell a quick story if she doesn't mind. She had to go to court, and I went with her. They denied her everything she asked for. Well, actually, they gave her this check, and this, the person in the state next to her just grabs the check and says, thank you very much. You owe us this money. You owe us all this money. And Annie left devastated, as she would. And so uh, she had been out of work for a long time. So she goes to the courts, was encouraged that they were going to help her when she left with nothing. So obviously downhearted, and off she goes. We drive back. And so, you know, what do you do when somebody's that depressed? Annie, God's going to come through for you. I know he's going to come through. And I'm thinking, wow, that was, that, was really, that was really hard. But he will. I don't know how he's going to come through. Well, you know what happened? The courts made a mistake, and they sent her the check instead of sending it to the state of New York. So she calls her lawyer. She goes, what do I do with this check? And she goes, well, they made a mistake. It's yours. They can't take it back. 
They can't take it back. So she cashed it and the money went in the bank. They said no and God said yes. That's what I'm saying. When man says no, God says yes. If you are mine, blood bought, covered with my blood, you're my child. I'm against the wicked, not the righteous. I am going to help you. Isn't that powerful? So Annie appealed to heaven. So one of these ships was named the Lee of, of George Washington's ships, and there was a British sh ship named the Nancy, mistakenly called them. Oh, the mis they actually saw the Lee coming towards their ship those that were on the Nancy, the British. And because the Patriots didn't have a uniform at that time, they had no money, even you know, barely any money to even get the flags or the ships, they mistaken them for somebody else. This is what God does. And so the, the British captain calls him upon the ship because he thinks that they're there to help him do something. And so George Washington and his men realize what's happening. And so what they did when they went on, they captured the ship. What really, you know, they were stunned and shocked that this little tiny boat compared to this big, like, brigantine, you know, British ship could come on and actually capture. And there was not a lot of men on board because they were carrying so much armor and artil artillery, right? So George Washington gets enough uh, equipment to fight the war with the British's armor, bullets, and they had more to last. They said it lasted more than a year. That's how much they gained. Because they had an appeal to heaven. That's what I'm saying. God is so for us. He's never against us. And so when we look back at history and we look back where, we've, where, where, where this, this uh, nation has been founded, where we ourselves have been founded, why should we worry? But we have to appeal to God. So they had, um, it says, but under God's provision, they pulled onto the ship, captured it, and had more arms and ammunition on her than the colonists would use that first year. An appeal to heaven. And God responds. Imagine, I just think the Lord was just laughing in heaven. I just, you know, I, you guys think you're so big and you, you think you're against my people. I don't think so. I've let it go for a little while because I'm building my people. But you're going to go down. And the British did go down. So George Washington knew, and if anybody's here from, you know, England, I'm sorry. George Washington knew there was a God in heaven. Our country was established by the Lord with men and women who knew him. His power, his holiness, his mercies. The first flag declaring his power, how far we have fallen from the roots of our beginning. That was the flag. Now you can't even put John 3.16 on, you know, on a shirt and go to work. Ronald Reagan said this, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. And we're not letting that happen. God's people are not. He's commissioning us to pray. God asks this rhetorical question in Jeremiah. For those who think that maybe there's no hope, that, that it's gone too far, that maybe that we are Babylon and there's no, there's no help for us. And who knows, maybe God will destroy us at the end, but who cares? We're all going to heaven, right? The thing is, whatever he decides is going to happen is going to happen, but it's not going to happen until he says so. So God asks this rhetorical question. He says, is there a bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? Why are you not taking advantage of the relief I have provided for you? So what do we need to be taken advantage of? We need to take advantage of praying, declaring. He's given us authority to open our mouth and speak life and speak truth. He says, is there no physician? Is there no medicine? We belong to a God of power and might, and there is help, there is restoration, there is always recovery. 
I want to tell you there is a bomb in Gilead and there is a bomb in America. His name is Jesus Christ. There's an answer. There's always an answer. There's always hope in him in every situation and all brokenness. There is God a very present help in time of need, which also says in Psalm 46. He waits on us to pray and pray and pray and pray. I don't know why. He doesn't need us, but he wants to co-labor with us. So we need to do it his way. Revelation 3.11. I'm going to read through the whole thing now. He says to the church, you have not denied me. You have not denied my name. And they received a promise. Vasti, think about this. Vasti denied the king and she lost her crown. She lost her voice. She lost all her influence. If we deny him at this time, if we deny him ever, we lose our voice. We lose our influence. And God help our children and our children's children and our neighbors and those we're around, right? We don't want to lose our voice. Vasti got filled with pride. She thought the palace was hers. She didn't realize the king let her live there for a little while, right? She lost it all. So to the church, listen to what the Lord says. And to the, ch and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, I think this is the King James, I um, mean the new King James, I'm not sure. These things say, says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. You could just stop right there. He opens, he shuts, he has the king of David, and he is holy and he is true. That means he's so true, he's not going to say, I'm done with you, I'm divorcing America. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. I have kept, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. That's what he did with George Washington when he took that boat, right? Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell in it. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no man takes your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out no more. I write on him the name of God. Apparently, the Lord is for tattoos, because listen to this. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, and I will write on them, I, and I will write on him my new name. Suspense. Sorry. He who has an ear to hear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Esther did not deny his name. She yielded to Mordecai. She submitted, although she wanted to stay comfortable in the palace. Not only did she not lose her crown, but she was an instrument to save her people. It is a fight. It takes some of our time. It takes some of our meals. But there is a God in Israel, and there is a God in America. He wants to free those who are walking in darkness. He wants to recover those who have swayed and compromised. If he could deliver the Jewish people against great odds, if he could establish the United States of America and free his people from tyranny, then he will do all and more for us now. Isaiah 42.3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. I love that scripture. How many times have you felt like you were a burning, dimly wick, and your flame wasn't that strong anymore, right? He says, don't worry about it. 
because I'm going to fan my flames on you, and you will again speak for me. You will again declare who I am. You will again see who I truly am. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Our, Our lives, our nation may be bruised, our light may be dim in comparison to our past, but he will faithfully bring forth justice. Remember his mercies are new every morning. He's not against us. His steadfast love never ceases. It never ceases. It never comes to an end. They are new every morning. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And Lord, help us to pray for America that you would not give us this word in vain, but that we would be a people that give ourselves to prayer for our president, for those who are in the um, political arena, that God would remove and then God would lift up that God would have his way, that he would open and no man can shut. Don't listen to the voices. Don't listen to the arguing. Don't go on Facebook and and learn politics there because you will just walk away feeling like, is there a God in America? It looks so dark. We can't just look at what's wrong. We have to look at what's right. We have to remember his covenant from the past, his covenant from from the pilgrims, his covenant from George Washington, his covenant to us personally. And we cannot cave. We just have to continue to know he's with us. And then we will have a crown. No man's taken my crown. Um, And no man's taken yours. Um, And that's all I have to share. Thank you.